Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert! They're up and running again. So smooth, so sweet, splendid, succinct, just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort, 4,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see those beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet. Nobody picks him up. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Wonder Goal, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. My name is Michael Leboff, and joining me, as always, are my two colleagues and friends, Anthony DeBundo and BJ Cunningham. And we've got ourselves a very interesting slate of soccer to get to this weekend, but there is only one place to start. That's with the Manchester Derby, an 11.30 a.m. kickoff on Sunday between Manchester City. They're minus 260, hosting Manchester United, plus 750, and the draw is 4-1 to one on the three-way money line here. City comes into this uh, into this match in weird form for them, I would say. They're not in bad form by any stretch, uh, but they did lose and then escape uh, Goodison Park with a lucky win in their last two Premier League matches. Meanwhile, uh, United has not lost since January 3rd, but six of those 11 matches are draws and some weird ones at that. United is uh, got a plus five expected goal differential over the last three matches. So it does look like Ralph Ragnick is starting to put a team together here that is good. Like they are legitimately good. However, the two of you guys are on separate sides of this argument on just how much to read into these United results. BJ, uh, you're not buying it. So I'll let you start. Yeah. Legitimately good. I think is a stretch. And I think the reason for that is because we've talked about it a lot, but the opponents that United has played over since Rangnick has took over West Ham has basically been the best team they've played in the premier league. They got their first taste at playing an elite side uh, against Atletico in the champions league. And boy, did they look really bad for a majority of the match. They were able to actually hold 62% possession, but we're only able to muster nine shots and 0.5 expected goals on the flip side. Atletico really should have walked away with when they hit the post twice. They created 1.3 expected goals on United's defense. And it was just one defensive mistake that United capitalized on, uh, on their basically their only shot inside the 18 yard box. So it really wasn't a resounding like, oh my gosh, United really deserved that draw. No, they really should have lost to Atletico. And, you know, under Rangnick, they, they do have a plus 0.8 XG differential per 90 minutes, which is good. You know, considering the opponents they've played, it has been pretty easy, but relatively, you know, you have to ask yourself, all right, well, what are you supposed to do under that, you know, during that time frame? The problem is in this matchup is they've had the benefit of holding a large share of the possession under Rangnick. They're averaging around 56% uh, possession in their 13 matches under him. Well, now how are they going to play basically sitting deep for two thirds of this match while City holds the ball in their in their end? Because that's what they did the first time. They held the ball for 67% of the time, basically in Man United's own final third. They won the match 2-0, one on expected goals, 2 to 0.6. United only had five shots, three touches in the penalty area, and one box entry at home against City. Even if we look at the performances from United and City and compare them to when Rangnick took over, like I just mentioned, you mentioned United plus 0.8 XG differential per 90. Man City's plus 1.67 for over that same time frame. So... The discrepancy between these two clubs, I think, is still incredibly massive. And I do not think that United is set up to defend for 
60 minutes of this match and try obviously they have the talent to hit city on the counter that's definitely true but you're asking a lot from them to, to sit back and defend for that long when, when we've seen how shaky they've been defensively against really good clubs so i love city minus one and a half at plus 110 i have the spread projector on minus 1.8 i think they're just leaps and bounds better than manchester united so uh give me the citizens minus one and a half at home yeah i don't think there's much of a uh, argument to be made that City is in a, another level compared to United, but I guess the question here is, has the market adjusted enough to the improvements that we've seen? Uh, or I guess, especially over the last four weeks, I would say that United, and once again, it came against Watford in a, in a nil-nil draw, but they looked they looked good. They looked in, in sync going forward. Um, completely different animal against City, but I just wonder if, if has the market adjusted enough to United's improvements, Anthony? Yeah, I really don't think so. You know, just two weeks ago, we sat here uh, and Spurs were in a very similar position with very similar odds, uh, you know, catching one and a half goals on the road. Uh, And I've got Tottenham and United rated pretty similarly. And I bet Tottenham then and I'm betting United here. We we joked about it on the last week's pod that it was going to be a really good uh, United or I thought it was going to be a really good United spot. And I just think this is a good matchup. And I understand everything BJ said about the first meeting is very true. United probably had their worst 90 minutes of the season. And I know they got embarrassed by Liverpool and Watford, but I actually thought the city match was more embarrassing because you mentioned it one box entry city had, uh, I believe they completed 93 or plus percent of their passes in the second half. There was just no resistance from United, but that United team didn't have Paul Pogba. It didn't have Jaden Sancho. And I think the addition of those two is really what's driving the improvements. And I understand they didn't play well against Atleti, on the road and they had a lot of the ball and they couldn't break them down. And I think that's still a legitimate issue for this United team, but they don't really have that same problem on Saturday or on Sunday rather, because city's going to have the ball and they're going to have a lot of the ball. And I actually think we haven't really seen United get tested without the ball under Ragnick yet, but I believe based on Ragnick's history that it's going to be relatively effective in a defensive pressing kind of system. So I think What's going to happen is that similar to the Tottenham match, City's going to play their high line. And when they lose the ball, it's going to be Sancho. It's going to be Pogba sending in passes uh, in behind, trying to get, uh, you know, whether it's Fernandes or whether it's Sancho or whether it's Ronaldo, they're going to have space to run into here. And I think it it could work. And I think they're going to get one one goal here and and keep this game very competitive and maybe even get two and, and, and go for the win. I, you know, Tottenham, expose some some weaknesses in city and i'm not comparing kane and son as a counter-attacking duo to ronaldo and sancho and but when you add in guys like pogba and fernandez i mean this is a very lethal counter-attacking team who has created at least one expected goal in eight straight matches and they've created two in, in uh you know almost the majority of them uh and so i'm i'm happy to uh take it plus one and a half and, and united have had their issues in defensive transition as well but I don't think that's much of a problem against city because they they're slow and build up. They will have the ball uh, and United, you know, the one thing that's concerning is the potential set piece issues, but otherwise I think city's going to have shots. They're going to have chances, but they haven't been firing on all cylinders recently. And so I think, uh, you know, last 700 minutes of soccer United is third and expected goals for just sixth in goals for, so could get a couple bounces their way and make this a competitive game, which is what I really think is going to happen. Yeah, I'm leaning towards what you're saying, Anthony, uh, just in a different way. I, I think that the the draw won't ever be out of question in this game because I think that uh, United will score or be a threat to score 
at all times. And if United does go ahead, you can apply the same thing to City. And City matches are, uh, they're not, even though they don't draw much because they always win, if against uh, good competition, the environment's pretty good for a draw because of how City likes to play. Like they take forever on the ball and uh, really, really like to pick their spots. So a 1-1 or 2-2 here is probably how I'm looking. Maybe a live draw if uh, there's an early goal or something, but I just have a feeling this isn't much of an edge, but I do have a feeling that this one ends as a draw. All right, that's uh, that's the Manchester Derby. Now let's move on to Leicester and Leeds, 7.30 a.m. on Saturday morning. Jesse Marsh is in town to take the helm of Leeds United, who are plus 310 on the road at Leicester, minus 125. The draw here is plus 310 as well. This is a really interesting situation, I think, because you're you're Leeds United, like the outpouring of love that was shown for Marcelo Bielsa on his way out was, was quite touching. He obviously made a huge impact on the club and the city and the fans. People were upset that the team had sacked him despite uh, them cratering into the relegation scrap. And uh, that just goes to show you just how beloved he was. And then they replaced him with a guy who, look, there's no such thing as another Marcelo Bielsa. Jesse Marsh is not that far off. Like he, he doesn't play that crazy man to man pressing system, but he's going to have the team pressing at all uh, at all times. So it's, it's just very funny. I wonder if, it, if the, the thinking there was, okay, we'll, we'll kind of get like the, I don't want to call him a poor man's Bielsa, I guess, but that's, the best uh, way I can put it is like, we'll get someone who this team can, they can play his style because they played a much more, um, you know, intense version of it. And this way it's like kind of like a weaning off of it, but uh, it'll be interesting, but I don't think Jesse Marsh from what we saw at Leipzig is going to come in here and turn this defense around like that. And Leicester city is not the type of team that I want to take on at at a number like this. I I would much, I need a much bigger number on leads uh, to get involved and, I'm not going to lay it with Leicester either because of their inconsistency. So it'll be passing, uh, but it, it is, it, it'll be interesting to watch what Jesse Marsh does. The American Jesse Marsh does uh, with this, with this side uh, BJ, you are forecasting some goals here, huh? Yeah. The, the Marsh hire, when it first came out, I was just like, what? Like it made no sense to me from the aspect of like Leeds defense has been so horrific. And you bring in a guy who basically turned one of the, the best defenses in the Bundesliga into one of the worst. So I was like, doesn't really make sense. But then when I thought about it more, did some more reading, I was like, okay, it makes sense. It's basically kind of a little bit of a toned down version of BL. So it actually, you know, Leipzig, you know, obviously over a long period of time, they've been one of the best pressing teams in Germany, but their passes per defensive action was actually lower than Leeds United this season. But I'm not sure that Jesse Marsh is the guy to come in and save this Leeds defense. They might improve. They, they might get more structure. Like you said, moving off that man-to-man pressing system, but this is why Bielsa got fired over the last 10 matches, 24.8 expected goals and 22 big scoring chances. You can't survive in the Premier League just giving up that much week in and week out. But Marsh at Leipzig was allowing around 1.7 expected goals per match and was near the bottom in the Bundesliga in terms of big scoring chances allowed. So based on what we saw at Leipzig, I'm not so sure he's ready to come in and, and fix all of these defensive issues. Now, like I said, the, the intensity is probably going to get turned down a little bit. They're probably he's going to provide more defensive structure. You know, he might move them to a a four two 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 or a four two three one, something that you know helps out the back line. But it's not going to be an overnight change like we saw at least the first couple of matches with Roy Hodgson at Watford, where he basically just you know switched the entire defense up to a four four two, and you saw more structure and a lot uh, better defensive performances out of out of Watford. But obviously, that's gone to the wayside. Leicester, on the other hand, is, is in a very 
interesting spot. They're pretty much secure in, in the middle of the table. They got a nice win over Burnley on Tuesday. That pretty much secured their, their mid-table uh, for the rest of the season. Their offense is looking good, uh, 1.45. Uh, expected goals for match over their last eight against some pretty difficult competition. City, Liverpool twice, Tottenham, Brighton, West Ham, Wolves, and Burnley. Uh, their defense has been a little bit better over the last three, uh, only allowing 2.4 uh, expected goals, but they're still 19th in shots allowed per 90 minutes. Well, Leeds is actually sixth offensively in that same category. So uh, with Marsh coming in, you obviously, okay, new manager bump, but I don't think it's really going to help their defensive issues. So I have 3.5 goals projected here. So uh, I like over three goals at minus 105. And Anthony, uh, before we move on, I know you you don't particularly like this uh, one from a betting perspective. What are your two cents, I guess, on, on Jesse Marsh, your boy coming to Yorkshire? Yeah, you know, I think it's two things. One, and this is the existential leads question. Uh, it's how much of their rise into the Prem and then how much of that, you know, them getting, you know, in the 10th place last year. And then falling down this year, how much of that was Bielsa truly elevating the talent of what is not a Premier League team? And I think they have some guys who are legitimate Premier League players. And you mentioned Rafinha and Bamford and Calvin Phillips and even Dan James. But you get down the list of players and I start to wonder, is this team just not talented enough? I think it's a very real possibility that we're going to find out here of whether or not Bielsa was really working magic to get all everything he could out of these players and they're just going to fall off once he's gone. But on the other hand, I actually think this is a good fit for, you know, Jesse Marsh. And I think it's actually arguably a better fit than Leipzig was. Leipzig had become much more possession-based. We're having the ball more, less, um, you know, pace and transition. And they were very much a possession first with a lot of really skilled guys who weren't necessarily these manic pressers. Uh, you know, you think of like guys like Nkunku and Olmo uh, and some of their midfielders, uh, you know, and Emil Forsberg, like those guys don't really are, they're not really notoriously pressers as much as they are people who are great with the ball at their feet. Uh, well, now he goes to a team who should be comfortable pressing. So I think it'll be really interesting from a, from a fan and a tactical point of view. And from a betting point of view, I actually lean toward Leicester because I think BJ made a good point. You know, they ran through a gauntlet here of really difficult games. And I continue to believe that at some point this defense is going to improve uh, and the offense has clearly taken steps forward and, and Pats and Doc has been amazing and they have enough going forward. And, and then I, I think the defense is going to come around maybe, uh, especially with the set pieces. I mean, it's hard to be as bad as they've been forever. So I lean toward Lester here, but uh, like you mentioned, if, if Bielsa were still in charge, I think I'd be all over Lester, but I'm, I'm just not quite feeling it with the uncertainty with the new manager and potential bounce they could get off of it. In a game that will probably look very different from Leeds and Leicester, Wolverhampton, they're plus 135 at home, hosting Crystal Palace, plus 245. The draw is plus 210. But the most important number for me is the over-under here. Set at two, uh, which is telling me that bookmakers are expecting a low-event game, and I'm with it. Uh, these are two low-event attacks that are good at, uh, or the best strength is creating big scoring chances, and they're going up against two respective defenses that are good at preventing them. So I'm looking at the draw here, plus 210. I think you're looking at a just an absolute rock fight between Bruno Lage and Patrick Vieira at 10 a.m. on Saturday. Don't know how many people will be tuning into this one uh, with the other matches that are going on. So that's where I'm going, the draw, plus 210. Anthony, you've started to turn around on Crystal Palace lately, though. Just a little. You know, uh, I, I don't think I was ever out on Palace. I just don't think I was ever in either. I, I, I think we have to go check the tapes. I, I was... 
look commit warm. to something, please. Yeah, I need to get, well, it's, my commit is wishy-washy back and forth. Just commit to something. <laughs> you can't ever pin a take on me. Uh, one take I have had for the last month has been Wolves overs. Uh, we didn't, we, we did not bet it on Sunday and they uh, once again, overperformed defensively, uh, but I'm fading Wolves here. And I've been looking for a good Wolves fade spot. Arsenal wasn't quite it. West Ham wasn't quite it. Uh, but I think this is the spot to do it. Uh, the last 700 minutes of action at 11 on 11 wolves have a minus 0.3 expected goal difference per 90 minutes. And they are actually have a plus 0.64 goal difference per 90. That's a goal, uh, different. And that's just absurd. Uh, they've conceded at least one expected goal in their last eight matches. So we talked about how, okay, wolves defense is good and overperforming. Uh, they've regressed in the good part. You know, they're just not good right now. And they haven't been very good for the last uh, month plus now considering more uh, shots generally and not quite having the game control they were having early in the season. Palace have generally been a bit unlucky. Uh, overall, their results in close games have not been great. Every time there's been a toss-up game, it's kind of gone against them. And they've had some great performances that have made up for that. And there's a reason they're in 11th. But overall, you'd expect them to be a little bit better based on their numbers. Uh, and the Wolves, you know, they just conceded 1.8 expected goals to West Ham. And we've been talking about how bad this West Ham attack has been. They can't get to 10 shots in any match. Well, they just put up 1.8 on Wolves. I think it's a pretty big red flag. Uh, the first meeting between these two teams, I know it was at Selhurst Park, where Palace is a lot better. But Palace, 13 shots to five. Uh, Palace won the game 2-0. It was a beatdown, really. Uh, I know I had Wolves in that one and lost. So, Definitely a tough one, but uh, Palace has the better numbers across the board all year. And Wolves XG at home has been pretty mediocre as well. They're sixth worst uh, at the Molyneux uh, this season and expected goal difference. So not quite the huge home advantage you'd expect. And therefore, I'm happy to take Palace. I took them plus a quarter goal at minus 110. I like draw no bet as well, which I, I know BJ is going to talk more about. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I love Crystal Palace, Drano Beta, plus 135. You mentioned it. And I think it, it it goes to kind of a larger point on why we use expected goals and just use them at nauseum on this podcast and our writing. And this matchup right here is a perfect example of that. Wolves on the season has allowed 21 goals, while Crystal Palace has allowed 38. So if we're just looking at that on paper, we'd say, oh my gosh, Wolves is this incredible defense. It's way better than Palace. But if we look at expected goals... Wolves, 36.7 allowed on the season. Crystal Palace, only 31.6. So, and Palace is also top six in pretty much every single defensive metric, including pressing now, which is big against Wolves, who are a below average team playing through pressure. The Wolves offense, I, I you know, obviously against Arsenal, they had, uh, they scored on the, the one mistake from Gabrielle, and their offense is starting to show some improvements, but only creating over one expected goal in, uh, in three of their last 14 matches is not something to write home about. They're now 17th in expected goals. They're far too reliant. Like you mentioned, Michael on big scoring chances. Uh, they currently only average around 10.2 shots per 90, which is second to last in the premier league. And they're only right around 0.23 uh, XG per shot, which is eighth in the premier league. So it really isn't that impressive considering you're getting that few shots. Your XG per shot is still around the middle of the table. So uh, I agree with Anthony. I have this match projected really, really close to a pick so I love Crystal Palestrano bet uh, at a nice price at plus 135. All right, we'll move on. Aston Villa plus 135 hosting Southampton plus 210. The draw here is plus 240. The best way to beat Southampton is to be able to create big scoring chances. And 
Aston Villa does not do that. Southampton is 16th in preventing big scoring chances, but Aston Villa is just 19th uh, at creating them. It's pretty clear that uh, Steven Gerrard's trademark or the, the stamp he wanted to put on Aston Villa in his first, you know, it's not a full season, but he wanted to get this defense sorted and he has a team playing a pretty low event style of soccer. And I just think that uh, Southampton, you're, you are buying high here because they've been in such a good form, but I do think that you're still getting a pretty good number plus 210 against a team that is struggling to create enough offense, I think, to hang with Southampton, who I do expect to uh, be able to get on the board here once or twice. So give me Southampton here as an underdog. Anthony, Villa, Saints, draw. What, where are you looking for this one? Yeah, I, I lean toward the under. Uh, you know, Southampton, the attack has been on fire lately. Uh, you know, they've been rolling. I mean, they might be outside the top four teams, probably the hottest attack in the league right now. But Villa's been running pretty hot too. So I expect some these two teams to cool off at some point and they're kind of meeting each other here in a spot. Uh, Villa's very direct with their counterattacks. They have the top, uh, they're top in the league in attack speed and they should be able to create a big chance or two. Uh, but Southampton also have now scored 21 expected or 21 goals from 15 expected goals in their last 10 league matches. So not only are they running well above their numbers and and kind of regressing positively back to what the mean should have been, but they're also, you know, 1.5 XG per, ma- per match is pretty good for saints. So I think both, you know, are, are probably going to come down to earth a little bit. You don't expect this attack to be this good. Uh, and and really they play kind of over their talent level uh, lately. And there was the time to buy the saints, but we, we've kind of passed that now. And, and now I'm looking to maybe sell the attack again, Villa, same thing. Villa averaging one expected goal per game this year, but they're scoring 1.36 expected uh, goals per match. So that's a pretty red flag that this attack is not nearly as good uh, as the numbers indicate. So I would lean toward the under. The only thing that scares me is that with the Saints, you know, they've just been conceding so many big chances that it only takes one or two for Villa. And then all of a sudden the game opens up and it gets crazy again. So game state's a bit of a concern, but I certainly lean toward the under two and a half. Oh yeah, BJ, you're you're looking at a kind of similar angle here too, right? Yeah, similarly, I'm going both teams to score no, which is at a pretty good price of plus one thirty. It just, I believe this price is a little overvalued. I, Anthony mentioned it. The Aston Villa matches are become low event in terms of expected goals, but we're not seeing that actually what's happening on the pitch. So under Gerard, one point zero nine xG per match for one point zero six against. So very low event, two point one five xG per match. Well actual goals it's 2.64 per match so there's going to be some regression pushing that down here this is just really a bad matchup for for Aston Villa who really struggles to play through pressure so going up against Southampton's frenetic pressing who forces the fourth most high turnovers of the Premier League really is quite a bad matchup but at that same token Southampton I agree with Anthony they're going to come back down to earth at some point they can't I'm not buying that Southampton is suddenly this resurgent team that's going to start pushing up into you know maybe threatening into the the top eight I I just don't really see it uh and their performances away from home just have not been as good uh than at the St. Mary's Stadium plus 5.3 expectable differential at home versus minus five and a half away so uh, both teams have scored. Yes. Is that, is that minus 170? I find that to be way, way too high. So uh, I love both teams to score. No at plus 130. We have a, a really interesting one here between Newcastle and Brighton bookmakers are having a tough time separating them right now. The Magpies are plus 170. The Seagulls are plus 175. The draws plus 220. This is another 10 a.m. kickoff on Saturday. It does set up for a classic sell high spot. I think on Newcastle. Eddie Howe, I, I think, 
we all thought he was going to do a lot worse with uh, this team than he did. He's five, five and four um, win draw loss in his 14 games in charge in the premier league. They have a minus five goal differential in that time. And a just about a minus six expected goal differential. The defense, he did improve them. They're not, we're not saying that this is a great defense, but uh, they did yeah, get a lot better from the rock bottom that he inherited. However, I do think that this is just a really good opportunity to sell high on uh, Eddie Howe's Newcastle. They're 4-3-0 win draw loss since December 27th, and they're taking on a team in Brighton that is just much better than them, I think, in terms of the coach, the way they play, and the fact that Brighton's game really does translate well, whether it's on the road uh, and especially when they're underdogs. So I think that the Seagulls here, I mean, this is just an incredible spot you're getting. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this number does dip even even if uh, Brighton is on the on the road. So if you are hearing this on Thursday, you might want to act pretty quickly on Brighton. Um, but yeah, give me the Seagulls. Uh, I like them plus 155 or better. I have a feeling that this is going to be a uh, three for three. But BJ, I'll let you go first. Yeah, definitely lean Brighton. Uh, there's just some some things that have me concerned with our Seagulls right now. Uh, their performances over the past few weeks have just not been that good. They've lost the expected goals battle in four of their last five matches. They have a minus 2.6 expected goal differential on the season, which is way below where they were at last season. Uh, now, with that being said, they have some pretty significant advantages over Newcastle here in terms of the pressing. Newcastle, horrible at playing through pressure, while Brighton's you know number one in the Premier League in uh, pressure success rate. On the flip side, Brighton is top three at playing through pressure, while Newcastle is one of the worst pressing teams in the Premier League. Even with all of the new signings they have, they're still around dead last in uh, passes per defensive action. Uh, the last time these two teams met, uh, Newcastle pulled off a smash and grab <laughs> against Brighton. Brighton completely dominated them in a 1-1 draw, 1.6 XG to 0.2, held 66% possession, 23 shot, creating actions to six. Now, things have obviously changed. You know, take the the Newcastle match against Brentford with a big-time grain of salt, considering Brentford got a red card in the 12th minute. Uh, so, yes, they dominated them, but they should have because they were up a man for pretty much the entire match. And you mentioned it, Michael, the Newcastle defensive performances have gotten better. Three expected goals allowed in their last five matches. So, uh, with Brighton being, you know, bottom six and non-penalty expected goals for uh, definitely gives me some pause on them. But if Brighton John O'Bet hits even money, uh, it's at minus 105 right now, but hits even money or anything plus, I'm definitely going to fire on the Seagulls. Anthony, uh, I think you're going to be with me here. With It's been impressive what Newcastle's doing, but at some point they're going to get found out or, or hit hit a snag. They're, they're not going to not lose another game. And I think that Brighton are just the type of team uh, that can cool down any side that's running hot you know it's been a while i feel like since i bet brighton i have to go back and look at the last time i bet our seagulls it's been a while so i'm happy to have come back and hang on brighton uh in this match i just think the line has, has gotten out of control here minus 105 is fine with me uh I'm, I'm fine with it up to minus 115 120 the look ahead was minus 130 on the draw no bet line and and that's about where i have it and i was like oh it might be a good spot for brighton but also last week, if you listened to our podcast, I was all over Brentford, uh, thought the same thing. You know, the recent form of Newcastle is just out of control here. Way too much respect for them. Brentford's great at home. Well, the red card, the being the bet was dead in 12 minutes. It was a pretty dumb red card too. It didn't really impact the game all that much, uh, but it was a red card nevertheless. And so uh, basically a free win for, for Newcastle. But now I think we're getting Brighton and you mentioned it. They haven't been very sharp. They have been quite poor. In fact, you know, they lose to United in the midweek. Uh, I thought they were pretty even with United for the first half hour, 45 minutes, and then 
a goal against the run of play, a red card, and then that game got out of control. Uh, and then they have two very flat consecutive performances. The first one against Burnley, the attack didn't show, and then Burnley scored three chances on nine shots, I think it was. You know, they had less than one expected goal. And then Villa scores two goals. Uh, you know, so they, they've conceded five goals in the last two matches, but they've only conceded two expected. Uh, the attack has been quite poor, but I, I expect them to take a step forward here. Newcastle's defense, yes, they've played better, but they also haven't really played any, you know, top attacking sides. So they haven't really been tested. Not that Brighton is the team that's going to really pummel them with shots. But overall, I think even since December 30th, which is what I cued it back to, which is right around the start of the January transfer window, right when Newcastle started playing better, Newcastle still has a worse expected goal difference than Brighton since then. So even if you if you, even if you take Newcastle's best part of the season, you can only get them to even with Brighton. And so I'm happy to take Brighton here, even on the road, uh, drawn up at minus 105. Yeah, and I wonder uh, about Newcastle's, their season going forward, because it does seem like they're they're now pretty much clear of the relegation zone uh, and a result against Brighton. Then they play Southampton, another team that I think when that game comes, if if it is an impressive performance from Newcastle here, we'll be looking to play, to sing a similar tune. And then they take on Chelsea uh, and then it's Everton and then Tottenham and Wolves. And I just think that when you're looking at looking ahead and, and thinking about how to play this Newcastle team, I think they're. Once again, and I've, I've said this earlier in the year, too, I think this is a, a bet against team uh, going forward, uh, at least until the market cools down on them. All right. Uh, another interesting one. We got Burnley. They're plus 750 taking on Chelsea, uh, hosting Chelsea minus 220. The draw here is plus 320. All sorts of uh, intrigue around Chelsea as uh, Roman Abramovich is going to sell the club due to uh, his you know, just ties to what's going on in Russia and it's not, I don't think that this stuff normally would affect what, what will happen on the pitch, but this Chelsea team has just been all over the place in so many different ways since uh, the holidays. We're talking about them playing in the FIFA Club World Cup. They just played, uh, had to come back against Luton in the FA Cup in the midweek. A couple of weeks before that, they had to do the same thing against Plymouth Argyle. They also played a final at Wembley and went to an 11-round shootout against Liverpool. It's uh, That was on Sunday. Like this is This team is just being pulled in a million different directions. And I can't think of a worse trip to make than to have to go to Burnley, where it's probably just going to be, I'll, I'll wait for BJ to confirm it. The Lancashire rain and wind will probably just be whipping down at Turf Moor. Someone will turn the sprinklers on and Sean Deitch will make sure that the wind is howling. I just, there's no way for me to, to think, even think about laying it with Chelsea here. Uh, even though this is Burnley's fifth game in two weeks. I do think that they've been pretty impressive. They've shown that they have like a more cohesive plan to generate offense without Veghorst. And yeah, I don't think you're going to be able to keep me off the Burnley money line here. I'll wait to see where it goes, but uh, that's where I'm going, the Clarets. Uh, BJ, tell us about the weather and tell us about your bet. Yeah, 44 degrees, 60% chance of rain and 10 to 15 mile an hour winds. It's actually a pretty, yeah, uh, it's a beautiful, pretty, pretty beautiful day beautiful in Burnley day. on Saturday. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I Chelsea, the, listen, this is not the best of matchups for Burnley, uh, but when you take into account, you know, all of those matches that Chelsea's played, they're just overvalued here on the road. So, for example, I have Chelsea at around 61%. If you look at 538, they have Chelsea at 57%. If you look at info goal, they have Chelsea at 62%. So Chelsea's currently minus 220, which equates to around 69, a little below 69%. So 
there is expected value on Burnley, especially at home where we've talked a lot that they're way better than on the road. They're actually one of the worst road teams in the Premier League, but do have around an even expected goal differential at home. The problem I have with this is I do see a scenario where Chelsea is just going to hold the ball in Burnley's end of the pitch and just fire off shot after shot after shot and eventually break through because Burnley is dead last in shots allowed per 90. They're dead last in box entries allowed. And Burnley didn't look great on Tuesday, to be honest. Leicester pretty much dominated them for the majority of the match. They did create a couple big scoring chances near the end, but for a majority of that match, there was a lot of sloppiness defensively that, that Leicester really pounced on and could have had, I think, at least three or four goals. So if you make those mistakes against Chelsea, they're going to absolutely punish you. So it makes me really nervous uh, with Burnley here. I really just need a better number. But plus one is, is currently at plus 105. I need that to get to plus 115 or plus 120 or at least get a deep, hope maybe. I don't think it's going to happen, but maybe a decent number on plus one and a half. So I'm definitely leaning Burnley, but I do need a better number on them. Yeah, I think this this match can go in a million different ways because of like the spots and the fact that both teams are playing this this compact schedule in Burnley's case, and then the incredibly strange timeline that Chelsea's currently living in. Uh, Anthony, I think you're you're seeing some chaos here, huh? Yeah, I really want to get there on Burnley too. I'm in the same spot, uh, and there's one thing that I've been you know BJ's accusing me of being wishy washy. Uh, there's one thing that I've been I've been going <laughs> I've been go I've, I've you know, we buy and we sell here, uh, but I've been, I've been pretty steadfast. This Chelsea defense continues to be overrated. And uh, you watch the game against Liverpool. I know it's Liverpool, but how that game ended nil, nil is beyond belief. Uh, for those of us who had both teams to score, we don't talk about it. Uh, but you know, that that's a classic example of, of Chelsea's defense just bailed out. And, and look, Mendy's had a good year, but I mean, some of the misses and then the offside call uh, just brutal. And they continue to ride their luck here. And I think Burnley, you know, they're minus 110 to score. If that gets to plus money, I'm in. Uh, and the same thing, you know, plus 1.25 is minus 130 right now. You know, if that gets down a little bit, I'm there as well. So I'll maybe split a unit on those two or something. But overall, I think this is, you know, I tweeted this out on Wednesday morning. They played in five different competitions in 18 days between the Palmeiras win in the Club World Cup on the 12th of February. Then they had the league win against Palace on the 18th. Then they hosted Leo in the Champions League on the 21st. Then they had the cup final on the 25th, again, or 27th rather, against Liverpool in Wembley, EFL Cup. And then they had the FA Cup match on Wednesday. And then they're going to have to play the Prem again. So it's just absurd. You know, the there has to be fatigue at some point. And they played extra time on Sunday. And then they, they did rotate the squad a good amount for this Luton match on Wednesday, but even still they're getting pushed here a lot. And they're really pretty comfortable here sitting in third place uh, where they're not really in a, in a danger zone for falling out of the top four, but they're also not in the title race. So I think it's going to be a weird space for Chelsea in the league because I think they may, you know, they're going to prioritize, Hey, we can try to win the FA cup. Hey, the champions league. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how Chelsea goes, you know, going down the road here, but definitely a lean toward Burnley. And uh, I'll be damned if I don't end up firing on Burnley team total over a half, I think, by by Saturday. Uh, Burnley currently in the relegation zone in 18th place, uh, 21 points from 25 games. And we'll talk about two other teams in the relegation zone next. That's Norwich City. They're plus 200, hosting Brentford, plus 155. They are favorites on the road. The draw here is plus 215. Let's just set it up real quick. Norwich City, 17 points from 26 games. Above them is Watford. 19 points from 26 games, then Burnley 21 from 25. Uh, Frank Lampard's Everton 
22 from 24. Leeds United, Jesse Marsh's men, 23 from 26. And then Brentford, 24 from 27 games played. And Newcastle surging, 25 points from 25 games. So this uh, Brentford-North City one, when you consider uh, that Brentford is three points up on Burnley with two more games played, this is a huge match for both teams. I would say must win for both clubs coming into it. And I think this is an opportunity here uh, to grab a little bit of value on Brentford, even though they're 1-1-7, and one draw loss since January 1st. And they've just been bad uh, at all parts of the pitch. It's It's been ugly. This team has played its way into the relegation scrap, right? There's not much, you can't really sugarcoat what's been going on with them. However, I do think that there is a little bit more talent here than is showing through in the results. And uh, Thomas Frank, I think we all believe in him as a manager and I can't look away from the number on on Brentford. It's, it's not going to be a fun one, but plus plus one fifty-five against Norwich, even on the road. uh, That's where I'm going. Buzz, buzz back on the bees, baby. BJ, what about you? Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's what three straight weeks now. Uh, me and Anthony have been coming on here and saying, "Hey, we've reached the bottom of the market on Brentford." <laughs> but so uh, again, I think we've reached the bottom of the market, uh, be, barely being favored over the worst uh, team in the Premier League. They do play Burnley at home next week, so maybe I'll be come back here again and say, "Hey, we've reached the bottom of the market on Brentford." But uh, it's it's tough because Brentford has lost essentially seven of their last eight matches. They pretty much you have to throw out the match against Newcastle, really unlucky red card. Wasn't really trying to, to, you know, uh, basically take out uh, the guy's shin, but it happens, you know, it is what it is. It's a red card. Then they're down a man for the whole match and they end up losing two nothing and getting dominated, which, you know, you expect to happen being down a man. Um, but Brentford is obviously a club that pays attention to expected goals. They pay attention to advanced analytics. So Thomas Frank is not going anywhere because Brentford minus 17 actual goal differential, only a minus 5.2 expected goal differential. Uh, So essentially throwing out that Newcastle match, the last, the seven matches previous to that, they were outscored by their opponents 16 to four, but based on expected goals, it was only 11.2 to 7.5. So it's really not as bad as it seems. Additionally, for the first time in, uh, many months, Brentford is fully healthy. David Rye is back in that. Ivan Tony came off the bench against Newcastle. Christian Eriksen made his debut uh, against Newcastle. So they finally have a full healthy squad. And I think maybe we'll start to see the Brentford team that we fell in love with at the beginning of the season. Norwich, just by far and away, the worst team in the Premier League. Yes, based on expected goals, that they're not as bad as a minus 44 expected goal differential. But having a 1.06 uh, expected goal differential per 90 minutes is really bad. And over the last 11 matches, Norwich only been able to create an embarrassing 6.6 expected goals by allowing 22.5. This is also a revenge spot for Brentford, who lost to New- Norwich 2-1 at home earlier in the season, despite winning unexpected goals 2.2 to 1.4 and holding 64% possession, having 74 touches compared to only 15 for Norwich. So uh, again, it's a buy low spot on Brentford. I feel like we're, it's obviously not as uh, to the level that, Brighton was last year, but I think we're starting to reach the level that every single week, if they're healthy, Brentford's going to be a team that you're going to have to bet on because they're just so overdue for some type of positive regression. So I have them projected as an even money favor on the road. So I'm with you, Michael. Give me the bees. Draw no bet at minus 125. Anthony, is this uh, is this the time that Brentford finally starts to turn things around a little bit? And more importantly, is this the number to back them to do so? Yeah, I certainly lean that way as well. Uh, I, I probably will end up playing them also. I just feared this team on the road. But the one thing that I think 
you know, and I just took my notes from last week's Brentford match and then put them back into this week's because I didn't really read anything into last week. I'd throw everything out the window uh, when it goes to 10 on 11. But the one interesting thing, Norwich is the second worst team at defending set pieces in the league. Only worse is Leicester. We've talked about them a lot. We haven't talked about Norwich. They can't defend set pieces. Brentford, very, very good at taking advantage of not only just corners and free kicks, but also throw-ins, which don't really get counted as set pieces, but are sort of like set pieces the way they do them, at least with the, the long throw into the box. Uh, so I think Brentford has a matchup edge there. You mentioned the revenge angle. All that's true. The only fear has been just how bad they've been away from the Brentford Community Stadium. I will probably not be backing them every week, but I will probably be backing them uh, in this match. I just, Norwich, there's not a ton to like about this team. And they really don't, uh, you know, I don't think they're going to create a lot of chances in this match. Even if you go back to the first meeting, it was a, a couple of fluky goals and I believe a penalty that went into the win for for Norwich, but it wasn't like they were, they were, uh, dominating the match. Even Thomas Frank talked about after how they created over three or two expected goals and they should have won the match. Move on to the 12.30 p.m. kickoff on Saturday. That's Liverpool uh, off their Carabao Cup victory against Chelsea. They're minus 320 hosting West Ham in a rematch from the Hammers' thrilling 3-2 win back in November. The Hammers are 9-1 to on the money line at Anfield. The draw here is plus 475. Since that win, uh, West Ham has not been very good. Seven, four, six win, draw loss with a negative expected goal differential. There's been a bunch of injuries and, and uh, kind of extenuating circumstances there. However, I think I, I believe in David Moyes' ability to do well in these kind of spots, right? He, he, he seems to be able to find what almost what pisses off uh, a good team uh, the most and then exploit that. I don't want to call it a weakness, but that's kind of what he's been able to do his whole career as a manager, at least in the, in the good bits of it. And I, that's why I don't think you can do the simple thing here, which is to just lay it with Liverpool at home, watch them go up two nil, get a penalty. Cause that's what they do. Um, and then uh, run away and hide uh, from West Ham. However, I do want to, I'm looking at the West Ham number, but I do think I'm going to need to wait a little bit and see if this thing ticks up or, you know, if there's some lineup clarity or something, because uh, it's not going to be fun to bet against Liverpool in this kind of form and brimming with confidence after hoisting a trophy at uh, Wembley. And of course their season now uh, is they're chasing Man City in a a legitimate title chase here. So, uh, you know, I I don't have any self-control, so I'll end up on West Ham, but right now I'm, I'm trying my best to kind of talk myself out of it. BJ, what are your thoughts here between the Reds and the Hammers? Yeah, I'm happy to pass on this one. Definitely would lean towards Liverpool. I would probably need a better number. The interesting thing about Liverpool is they're now on the level with Manchester City right even with them. Both teams have a plus 41.8 expected goal differential. Obviously, Liverpool has a game in hand on them. So you could, based on XG XG differential per 90, Liverpool's actually been better uh, than City this season now. You know, a lot of that gets a little bit inflated with a 6-0 win uh, against against Leeds United in the midweek, uh, along with uh, a pounding of Norwich City as well. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt wherever it is. But West Ham, really just not impressive offensively over the last, you know, few months or so. The match against Wolves was the first time they've created over one expected goal since January 16th, uh, and that was against Leeds United. So, really tough spot here for 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 West Ham obviously Liverpool playing in the midweek uh and then have a Champions League match on Wednesday against Inter Milan but 
my numbers are pretty close to right on to what the price is. So uh, I'm happy to just pass and, and let Liverpool win for nothing. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's, it's that classic kind of conundrum where it's, I think the number is probably inflated here. I mean, it's gotta be with the way Liverpool's playing and West Ham is a good enough team, even though they are struggling, they're a good enough team where no matter what kind of form they're in nine to one is always going to be tempting no matter who the opponent, where the venue of the game, uh, which is my thinking here. Uh, it worked when with Tottenham against city a couple weeks ago when they were 11 to one. And uh, I'm hoping that it works again. And I, but I really wouldn't be surprised to see this number get even longer on West Ham. Anthony, um, you're thinking this thing could be a little more cagey, I guess, than uh, the numbers, which is, suggest. Yeah. You know, it's, it's tricky because I'm, I've been selling off West Ham for a while now. And I think there are some issues with them, but I also think that Moyes can kind of repeat the game plan from the first meeting in November and just put 10 dudes behind the ball. And I think they're good enough to kind of manage that and to, to uh, you know, make life difficult for Liverpool, even though this is at Anfield, it's very different from being away for Liverpool. The Liverpool attack has been running red hot. I know they didn't score at all. I'm not going to talk about that match anymore. They didn't score on Sunday. They should have scored a couple of times uh, as well. And they really should have conceded a couple of times. But if you go back, I mean, this attack has been rolling, not even just with the five against uh, against Leeds, or the six against Leeds, rather. Uh, but they they have been rolling prior to that as well. And really, you mentioned it, BJ. If they had had some better draw luck early in the year, they probably would be on the level with City. And you could look around and pro- probably try to find a, you know, four to one on Liverpool, four and a half to one. It might not be a terrible bet. Uh, but the Reds are going to cool off at some point, I think. And I think West Ham is the kind of team who could cause some trouble. I also don't think West Ham is going to do a ton in attack here. If you go back to the first meeting, there were only 2.4 expected goals, but remember there were the two fluke goals very early in the game where they kind of just traded goals and that really opened it up and and kind of changed the dynamic of what was otherwise a pretty cagey game. And then, you know, West Ham scored off of a set piece. And so there wasn't a ton of clear chances in that match, despite it ending three, two to West Ham. So I would lean toward the under, but uh, this is probably one I'm just going to sit back and enjoy. All right, we'll flip the page to Sunday morning, a 9 a.m. kickoff between Watford plus 550 at home hosting Arsenal, who are minus 175. The draw here is three to one. Roy Hodgson, since taking over for Claudio Ranieri, is one, two, and three win draw loss with uh, 7.74 expected goals against and 5.78 expected goals for in those matches. That's actually pretty been pretty impressive from Roy <laughs> the way he's been able to, to I mean it's it's because of where this Watford defense was when he took over and how quickly he got them to be pedestrian which is a huge improvement uh for the Hornets and what was their stat with with they hadn't uh, the them and Bordeaux, had 38 them and 38 Bordeaux matches hadn't, yeah hadn't hadn't uh, got a clean sheet and Bordeaux by the way still had doesn't have a clean sheet on the season <laughs> And now look at now look at the the Hornets. Like Wofford. Yeah, it's pretty. It's just it is impressive. Got, I mean, that was a luck. That was about as lucky as it gets last match. But hey, yeah. But it, I mean, he's the type of manager that is is really well suited for those kind of situations because he's going to have his players in the right spot doing what they need to do to just throw themselves in front of a ball uh, when you know Manchester United is is creating uh, opportunities, and um, that just makes me horrified for anyone who's laying playing it with Arsenal here, who I think, by the way, when we started the season, the Arsenal was a roller coaster. No idea like what they were going to pull out of the bag. Talk about every, wishy-wash. Every, yeah. We, and I'm admitting to it, right? Like this was a team that was all over the map and now have turned into a team where I feel like 
you kind of just know what they're going to do every week. It feels like that, like they've, they're much more predictable. It's so funny how a, a year can change, right? I, I've got nothing here. I, I'm, I'm going to be passing on this one. I, I did think the under is probably the best way to look at two and a half because Roy Hodgson is a, a defensive wizard. But um, I know, BJ, you, you disagree. Yeah, I like over. I think the price on over two goals at plus money is, is pretty good here. Yeah, you mentioned that we know we're going to get from Arsenal now and that, that they're going to win. Every single match because they are red hot and one of the well, honestly one of the best teams in the Premier League right now. Over their last ten matches, they have the second best expected goal differential at about around one point five uh, per ninety minutes. That's only behind Liverpool, who's obviously been on fire. And the biggest thing is the offense has just come alive. Then they're currently looking unstoppable. The match against Wolves, they just it was onslaught after onslaught for the entire second half and. Over, the, over those 10 matches, Arsenal's created close to 20 expected goals. That's Those are starting to get up there with elite numbers in the Premier League. And so it's it's not surprising that over those 10 matches that their matches are averaging around you know 2.8 uh, expected goals. Um, and Arsenal really, they've done a great job at dominating the bottom half of the table. The Arsenal teams in the past have tripped up against lower sides and really cost a lot of their seasons and top four chances when they stumble against lower sides. Well, now they're completely dominating them and 18 matches against teams below them in the table. Arsenal has a plus 17.4 expected goal differential and are averaging 1.8 expected goals per match. And yes, Roy Hodgson has moved to a 4-4-2. Watford has looked better, but they were obviously very fortunate to not concede a goal against United. They were very fortunate not to concede a goal against Aston Villa who created around 1.6 against them. So you obviously take this with a grain of salt, but uh, Watford this season against top seven teams in the Premier League in 10 matches, 21 expected goals. So not very good. Obviously a lot of that was under Claudio Ranieri. I'm just not sold that uh, this Watford 4-4-2 is is certainly going to cause Arsenal problems because I just really don't think it will. I think Arsenal have a a pretty easy time creating a lot of high quality chances, but the, the Arsenal defense do for a little bit of negative regression over those 10 matches, seven goals allowed from 8.4. So there's a chance Watford could get on the board here. Uh, Ishmael star is questionable. Um, if he plays, it's obviously a big boost to Watford, uh, but I have around three goals projected. So I'm going to trust my numbers and take over two and a half goals uh, at even money. Cause I think it's a pretty good price. And now we'll go on to Monday night football, a wonder goal derby between Spurs minus 170 at home hosting Everton. Frank Lampard's toffees are five to one on the money line. The draw here is plus three ten. Anthony, I'll let you go first because I'm coming in hot on the toffees and I want to hear your argument before I give out mine. I don't really have a strong opinion on this match, uh, you know, and Spurs overs were fun for a little while. And now I'm kind of, you know, feel like the market's adjusted and it's pretty, pretty much right on here where, where I would have it. Uh, there's not a ton of value in the both teams to score because I think Everton's attack should trend up as we get down towards the business end of the season, because they're getting so many guys back. Uh, from a stylistic point of view, I'm still not sure what we're getting from Lampard in, in this Everton team, especially away from home. Tottenham have been much better at home than away. They've played four straight away matches. They finally get to come home now uh, after it felt like they didn't play an away match for a month earlier this season. Uh, so I don't have a ton here. The number's damn near spot on for me, uh, and I will be probably passing a come on you Spurs. Yeah, I, I like the price on Everton. They're 5-1, to one and they're improving. I think that's what the one thing you could say – is that if you watch these games under Lampard, it's clear as day that this team is getting better. They're playing better. They're playing harder. And he did something against Man City, which was very encouraging. 
to not just me, but to Everton fans everywhere, which is he put a third man in the mid- middle of the park with uh, Abdullah Decore coming back. He played with uh, Alan and Donny van de Beek, and those three were really good against Man City with those three. And then you got um, Anthony Gordon and either, you know, if it's going to be Damari Gray or Alex Wobie, this this team is good enough in the midfield here and on the wings to serve, whether it's for Charleston or Dominic Calvert-Lewin, if he's healthy, uh, to give them the service that they need or to, to just to provide the opportunity and the space for those guys to score. So like you said, this, uh, this offense is going to improve it. The question is always going to be with Everton is whether the defense is going to be able to hang and Michael Keane and Mason Holgate, they didn't really cover themselves with glory in the man with the Manchester city goal, but they did only allow one and they did hang with uh city's attack. They were at home. And I get that uh, Everton has looked a completely different team under Lampard at Goodison than on the road. But I think what you're doing here by buying Everton at five to one is, is you're beating you're beating the market before the market catches up to the improvements that we're going to see, not only with the eye test, but as well with the data uh, under Lampard, because it's coming. It's just it's very, very plain to see. Seamus Coleman's look better. And uh, John Joe Kenny, of all people, has also been impressive uh, as fullbacks for for Everton. And neither one of them were good under Benitez. So this team. They're, they are improving whether they can pull off the upset. It's five to one for a reason. Uh, it remains to be seen, but I think that you're getting a really good number on a team that the market just probably won't be able to catch up to because like we said, the, the, the numbers aren't there yet under Lampard, but they will get there yeah, eventually. So give me the toffees five to one to round out the premier league slate uh, for this week. That's a Monday night football game at Tottenham Hotspur stadium. Uh, all right, let's move on to the Bundesliga real quick. BJ, do you have anything for us over in Germany? Yeah, Stuttgart, Borussia Mönchengladbach over three goals at plus 120. Both Stuttgart and Gladbach are on really, really bad runs right now. Stuttgart is winless in their last nine matches, while Gladbach has only has two wins in their last 13. They somehow beat Bayern Munich, but I'm still not mad about it. The biggest problem for both of these clubs is at the defensive end of the pitch. During the nine-match winless streak for Stuttgart, they've allowed a whopping 16.3 expected goals and 16 big scoring chances. On the flip side, Gladbach, 25 expected goals in their last 13 matches. So not good for both these defenses. On the flip side, Gladbach is still, I would say, one of the better offenses in the in the Bundesliga, maybe still even in the top, I'd say, three or four. Uh, they're second in shots per 90 minutes, which is big against Stuttgart, who is dead last in shots led per 90. And all of those shots are great, but you know, Gladbach is 0.23 XG per shot, which is fifth in the Bundesliga. So it shows you that they're getting a lot of shots and they're getting a lot of high quality shots. So I think they should be able to put at least one or two in the back of the net on Stuttgart. Stuttgart, their offense has been trending in the right direction ever since they got their best striker, Sasha Klasic back uh, from injury in January. He's only, he's only played in about five matches this season and has created two expected goals, which is a right on par where he was last season with a 0.47, uh, XG per 90 minute scoring rate over a full season. So, uh, with him back in the lineup, Stuttgart averages around 0.25 more expected goals, uh, with than without him. So I have around 3.2 most projected. So I like the price on over three goals at plus 120. I'll go next. I, I like mines. They're plus 220 at home against Prusa yes. Dortmund. Uh, this is a Sunday, 9.30 a.m. kickoff. We love Mines on the show. This love is a strength. I'm also done with Dortmund. And this is a strength versus strength matchup, right? You're, you're talking about an, an offense with Dortmund. We know what they can do. But Mines, uh, first in the Bundesliga in preventing big scoring chances, uh, third in non-penalty expected goals per 90, fourth in shots against per 90, third in box entries per 90. So this is a defense that can hang with any offense in the Bundesliga. And they're you know, the expected points, they should have like four more. But this team, their results are so 
all over the place. And you don't expect that out of a team that's uh, defense is their strength. So it's, it's interesting, but I do think that this is a, a, once again, a team to bet on as the season winds down in Germany. So yeah, give me both Vincent's men plus two twenty against Dortmund. Anthony, what do you have for us? So I had to go back and look at how many times I've actually bet on this German team this season. The answer after I put the bet in for this week four Bayern Munich minus one and a half at home against Bayer Leverkusen. BJ's pumping his fist. We are hip and we are square this week. Uh, Bayern led the first meeting five nil in 37 minutes, 27 shots to six in that match. Bayern beat them two nil at home last year. They beat them two one away at Leverkusen beat them four, two both times in 2020 at the end after the pandemic, when they came back, it's just not a good matchup for Leverkusen. Bayern dominates the transitions better than anyone. Leverkusen's luck box probably runs out of batteries here uh, as they step up in competition. And that's usually what's happened for them when they played against Bayern. I just think that, you know, we've talked about Leverkusen. I don't have to get into it. 25% over expected uh, over performance going forward this season. Uh, and I look, is it square? Yeah, but I don't bet Bayern often and I'm betting them here. So hopefully it's a beat down. And I think, Eventually, things are going to start clicking again for Bayern. They've been a little flat, for sure. No doubt about that. Uh, but I think uh, things are going to start clicking for them. And uh, hopefully that happens on Saturday, and they um, beat up a, a pretty overrated Leverkusen. I love to be square, and I don't care. He loves to be square. So that's Mines and, and uh, Bayern Munich. Those are two t- one team that we bet on all the time and, and one team that we rarely bet on here. All right, let's move on to Syria. Ah. Uh, Anthony, anything for you in Italy this weekend? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Genoa at home. Draw no bet, minus 110. I still feel this is a good buy low spot, even though Genoa has drawn five consecutive, including their goal is draw with Inter last Friday. They're the much more desperate team here. They're the much more motivated team fighting off relegation. Empoli is pretty safe in the mid table, not really having any issues. This Genoa attack has been very, very poor. They only have 22 goals all year. They only have 26 expected goals. But Empoli is the spot for them to finally get some goals and get right. I think Empoli has major defensive issues. They conceded the second most expected goals and the second most goals in the league. Uh, And I think Genoa is a little bit undervalued here. I make it minus 125. So I like Genoa, minus 110, draw no bet at home against Empoli. BJ, what, what, what about you in Italy here? Well, real quick, the on Empoli, to add on to Anthony's point, Empoli has the weirdest home road splits I think I've seen of any team. Around minus 12 expected goal differential at home, but like plus two on the road. It's very, very weird. So Genoa playing them uh, at home is obviously very a good spot for them. So I agree with you, Anthony. I'm going to go to the special one, Jose Mourinho. His team is on an absolute tear right now. Last seven matches, plus 10 expected goal differential, which is the best in Syria uh, over that time span. They're due for so much positive regression defensively. It's not even funny. Last seven matches, 12 goals allowed off of five expected, which is just insane. Roma also the most efficient offense in Serie A on set pieces. They have 14.8 expected goals and have scored 14 of them. They're also number one in Serie A in XG per shot at 0.3. Adela, they're playing Atalanta, who's coming off a 4-0 drubbing of Sampdoria on Monday, but they're due for some negative aggression. Last four matches in all competition, nine nine goals scored off of 3.1 expected. So facing a Roma defense that's due for that much positive aggression, that's second in shots allowed per 90 and third in box entries allowed. It's a perfect statistical regression storm uh, for Jose Mourinho. So give me Roma draw no bet at minus 105. On to La Liga now. Uh, Anthony, what's your favorite bet in Spain? So BJ took my pick, which was going to be Atleti, but I'm going with Getafe. Uh, plus 
a half at minus 135 on the road. Uh, I make this a toss up. This is two even teams, slight lean toward uh, Espanol being at home, but not good enough to get to the, the number. It's a super low total. It's a Getafe match. There's never any goals. Uh, but this Espanol defense is so bad. They're bottom of the league in nearly every category, bottom two in the league. Uh, and they have been riding their luck a little bit, although you can't say that quite as much after they conceded five to Villarreal last weekend. Getafe just gets one. I think we're, we're in the clear here. I, I think their defense is more than good enough. Uh, they're fifth in expected goals allowed, ninth in box entries, top six in shots, big chances allowed. This is a legitimately good defense, good underdog team. They can't get margin ever, but they don't need to win this. We just need a draw. So hopefully we get one of those good uh, Getafe draws and uh, I'm taking them plus a half here. All right, BJ, uh, Anthony spoiled it, but uh, let us know why you like Diego Simeone's men. Well, I always like Diego Simeone's men. I've been very consistent about that on this podcast, unlike some people. Um, they're playing Real Betis, who we've talked about nauseum is just so overvalued. It's not even it's not even funny at this point. Offensively, this season, 48 goals scored off of 39.4 expected. In fact, in their last eight matches, they've scored 18 goals off of 11 expected goals. So Offensive regression is going to come, and when you're facing the best defense in Spain, it's it's most likely going to happen. Um, but what's most concerning about Real Betis is, yes, they're in third place in La Liga, but they have been so bad against the top teams in Spain. In nine matches against Real Madrid, Barcelona, Sevilla, Atletico, Real Sociedad, and Villarreal, Real Betis has a minus 6.6 expected goal differential, only averaging 0.57 expected goals per match against the rest of the table. They're averaging over two expected goals and they have a plus 14 expected goals differential. Atletico is in a huge battle for the top four right now. They're one point behind uh, Real Betis. And so this match is really, really massive uh, in the La Liga top four race, because if the Atletico wins, they're going to leapfrog Betis. So like I already mentioned, Atletico's defense 0.87 XG per match allowed best in La Liga. Number one, pretty much every single defensive category offense has been improving as well. 10.2 expected goals in their last seven matches. Uh, the real best defense is, is, is pretty honestly pretty bad. They give up a ton of high quality chances. It's the reason why they're 13th and non-penalty expected goals allowed 34 big scoring chances allowed in 26 matches, which is 15th in Spain and Atletico completely dominated them uh, in the first meeting, just thrashed them three, nothing and one on XG pretty comfortably. So I have Atletico projected around an even money, even money favor on the road. So I love draw no bets uh, at minus one thirty. All right. Uh, real quick uh, league. Oh, I know you both have a bet there before we get to our underdog. So BJ 30 seconds here on uh, your favorite league in the world. Yes. Laurie, uh, Lorient Leon Friday afternoon at 3 PM Eastern Lorient is in the currently in the relegation battle, but they're a very highly underrated team minus 18 actual goal differential versus only a minus 4.3 expected goal differential Leon. Yes. They've been improving, but their defense is still 15th and uh, Leon. They're going to be without their best defender. Most likely Jason Denier and the home road splits for Leon are quite shocking. Plus 15 expected goal differential at home versus minus 6.7 expected goal differential on the road. And they're lying close to two expected goals per match away from home. So with Lorient's improved performances, uh, I think they're due for a lot of positive regression. So uh, I like them plus half a goal uh, at plus 105. And Anthony? In Nantes, in Montpellier, under two and a half, minus 130, two biggest overachievers in France playing each other on the same weekend. It's just beautiful. Uh, 75 goals from 58 expected for these two teams combined, uh, both due for some regression and uh, happy to take an under. Last week's lean of the week pushed. So uh, we're, you know, I don't go a ton into France, but this is one I, I will definitely be betting. All right, let's uh, give out our favorite underdogs uh, for the week. Uh, now, Anthony, we'll start with you, your favorite pooch. Yeah, it's a team I've been really high on all year, Crystal Palace, uh, plus 235 on the money line at Wolves. 
the Wolves luck box has been impressive. They've, they've had a great little run here, uh, but I think they're starting to come back down to earth. They've now lost two in a row. I think they're going to continue to lose. Uh, they're a little bit overvalued as a favorite. They shouldn't be this much of a favorite against a Palace team that has better underlying numbers over the course of the season. Wolves defense, very lucky, will not be lucky forever. Up the Eagles. Fly, Eagles, fly. I like Everton Monday night football at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. They're five to one. I think that you're just beating the market to Everton's improvement under Frank Lampard. He did uh, adjust the team tactically by sticking a third man in the midfield. That switch paid immediate dividends against Manchester City in a, in a tough luck loss for the Toffees at Goodison Park. Plus, Tottenham's defense has been pretty leaky. Uh, 9.37 expected goals allowed since February 1st. That's one and 1.74 expected goals uh, allowed per match since in their last five contests. So you're getting to the Everton improvement before the market catches on to it. So I think five to one, even on the road against a good team like Tottenham is worth the punt. BJ, close it out. Cagliari plus 265 at home against Lazio. Cagliari has made a pretty nice run to pull themselves out of the relegation fight. Beat Adelante on the road 2-1. Drew against Stempoli on the road. Drew with Napoli at home, one on XG. And then beat Torino on the road and one on XG pretty comfortably this past weekend. So pretty impressive performances for them. Now they get another chance to take down another big boy in one of our favorite teams on this podcast, Lazio. I mentioned it last week, but just the crazy overperformance has got to stop at some point. 54 goals off of 36.7 expected goals. Uh, they're basically entirely relying on big scoring chances. 15th in shots per inning, but second in big scoring chances. Cagliari has been pretty good defensively uh, over the last seven matches, only four big scoring chances allowed. The funny thing about Lazio, and this just kind of extends how lucky they are, they're even lucky in terms of their pressing. They're 15th in passes per defensive action. They're dead last in ball recoveries. They're 10th in high turnovers, but somehow – They've scored nine goals off a high turnover, which is the most in Serie A. So it's just it's it's really funny how how lucky they've been, and it's got to stop at some point. So for a Cagliari team, it's really trending in the right direction. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching them blowing another two goal lead at plus two sixty five at home. All right. Uh, on that note, we will move on to our favorite Premier League bets for the weekend. BJ, uh, let's go right back to you. Your favorite EPL bet. Yeah, Brentford draw no bet at minus one twenty five on the road against Norwich. Look, I think we've said. It four weeks in a row now, but I truly think we've reached the bottom of the market on Brentford, barely being favored over the worst Premier League team on the road. They have not been playing great. They're eight losses in their last nine matches, but the underlying performances have been a bit better than what they've shown. Obviously this past weekend, they got a red card in the 12th minute against Newcastle. So basically throw that out the window over their previous seven matches before that they got outscored by their opponents 16 to four, but the expected goals was only 11.2 to 7.5. So the performances are not as bad as they seem. And they're taking on a Norwich team that is just horrific. Yes. They're not as bad as their minus 44 uh, actual goal differential, but a minus 1.06 expected goal differential per 90 minutes signals a really, really bad squad. And even over their last 11 matches, they've only created 6.6 expected goals and allowed 22.5. This is also a revenge spot for Brentford, who lost to Norwich at the Brentford Community Stadium early in the season, despite winning on expected goals 2.2 to 1.4. Norwich walked away with a 2-1 win. So uh, this is a good spot for Brentford to finally end this losing streak against the worst team in the Premier League. So give me the Bs, draw no bet at minus 125. For me, I like Burnley team total over half a goal, minus 110 right now. They're taking on Chelsea. I don't mind a little sprinkle on the money line, but uh, in terms of a best bet, it's kind of hard to give that one out. 
we talk about Chelsea's weird schedule. It's going to catch up to them at some point. They just played an FA Cup match in the midweek. Before that, they played in a League Cup final at Wembley. Before that, they played Lille in a Champions League match. Before that, they played in the FIFA Club World Cup in the Middle East. There just can't be that much left in the tank. And a trip to Turf Moor is probably the worst possible outcome for a team in this kind of crazy schedule as uh, hopefully there will be rain and wind in Lancashire and Burnley will just make that a absolute horror show for uh, Chelsea. And in addition, the Burnley offense has not been terrible lately. They're first of all, as a team, two, one, and one uh, win draw loss over their last four matches in the premier league. And they've created over one expected goal, two of those four matches, which is saying a lot for Burnley. And they came close to one in uh, a three nil win over Brighton. So this is a good opportunity to buy on Burnley. I think, they should get on the board against a Chelsea defense that is not as good as the numbers suggest. So I'll take Burnley team total over half a goal, minus 110. Anthony, what do you have? Brighton, draw no bet on the road at Newcastle, minus 105. It's been a while since I've backed our Seagulls, and our Seagulls have not been playing well. And I think that's the reason this line has gotten so cheap. They've lost their last three Premier League matches. They lost at Man United. There was a red card in there. They had a very flat consecutive performances against both Burnley and Villa at home, pretty concerning, but overall it hasn't been quite as bad as I think the narrative is getting now. They conceded five goals in those last two matches from just two expected goals. The attack has been struggling to create chances, but Newcastle's defense has been a little bit overvalued. hasn't played a lot of big name teams or or good attacking teams. So I think there could be some sell high here on Newcastle, Newcastle winning four of their last five matches. The reality is, Since December 30th, Newcastle's had their best month of the season, and you could argue Brighton has had their worst. And yet, Newcastle still has a worse expected goal difference in the last month and a half, two months, than the Seagulls here. So you're really, even when you're at the bottom of the market, the Seagulls are the better team. And I think at draw no bet at minus 105, I'm happy to take them here and bank on their return to form. All right, uh, that wraps up uh, another episode of Wonder Goal. It should be a fun week around the Premier League and the rest of Europe. And we will see you guys again on Monday morning to talk some Champions League. So best of luck on all your bets this weekend.